This is Eric Bradlow, co-host of Wharton Moneyball. Our guest today was Aaron Schatz, who's going to talk to us about the NFL, uh, what's happening, what's going to happen in the upcoming games this weekend, which teams look the most impressive. We'll also talk to him about can the Buffalo Bills ever actually win with Josh Allen and basically how there's a lot of randomness in his NFL games. So stay with us and listen to our interview with Aaron Schatz. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball here on SiriusXM. This is Cade Massey hosting this week with my longtime buddies, collaborators, and colleagues, Shane Jensen and Eric Bradlow. Audie Weiner is away doing Audie Weiner things. He will be back. Some combination of us always here. And we've got one of our longtime, one of our longest time friends of the show, Aaron Schatz is joining us. You know, Aaron, if you pay any attention to football, he is presently the chief analytics officer of FTN Fantasy. He can be followed on Twitter at A Shots NFL, at A Shots NFL. Great follow on Twitter. And his influence is all over the league and football watching community. Aaron, thanks for making time for us. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. Um, Aaron, coming out of... uh, a fun divisional round. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings about the state of the NFL? Four teams left. There was some interesting games over the weekend. There were some less interesting games over the weekend. But um, it's a fun Final Four. Where are you on where we are? I mean, I, the first thing is I just I feel really bad for Buffalo fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've had it ripped away from them with close losses over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's not like the Kansas City fans haven't had some success already, right? Like, what more does Kansas City need? They don't need any more success, right? Give Buffalo or Detroit a chance, for crying out loud. So, um, I mean, that was my first thought about the weekend. The, the big thing for me this year is that my numbers – have Baltimore and San Francisco as historically great teams. Mm-hmm. Now, I realize that's a little different from other advanced metrics. Other advanced metrics do not necessarily have them as high as I do and do not necessarily have the Ravens ahead of the 49ers the way I do. But if you look at DVOA going back to 1981, the Ravens come out as the fifth best regular season team and the 49ers as the eighth best regular season wow. team. Pretty wow. remarkable. Yeah. It's probably safe to say we haven't had many seasons with two in the top 20, much less two in the top eight. That's Yeah, fantastic. 1995 is the only other season like this when Dallas and San Francisco were both really, really, really good. Well, that's so much fun. That was 20, 28 years ago. I, I will say this, Aaron, Massey Peabody, directionally with you. We've got those two at the top. We've got Ravens at the top, and we've got a big gap with the next yeah. two. I haven't looked yeah. at how it compares over our history, but – um, they're both up into double digits, which doesn't always happen. But the gap is what's notable. I don't remember a year where we had two teams, two teams. We, there were years where the Pats had that kind of gap. But two with that kind of gap is interesting. Shane, it's, really, it's huge wins. They have huge wins over good opponents, not exactly. bad opponents, good ones. Exactly. There's a super interesting article in The Athletic, I think it was today, making exactly that point that you you do something like, okay, what's the re- team's records against – opponents that are multiple games over 500, you know, something like that. It's like really, really quality opponents and then how they played against them. So they have a good record, but then the point differential it's like they lap the field in the point differential in those games. Shane, yeah, was that, t- was, that was actually just going to be my point is that they, I think they're averaging something like 26 points per game against opponents that, you know, are above like three, three games or more above 500. And that is certainly historical. You mean 26-point uh, differential? Point, point differential. differential, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Ridiculous. 
Eric. Yes, Aaron, I was going to ask you. So I watched a lot, if not all, of the Packers 49ers game. And if you didn't tell me what you just said based eighth best ever on DVOA, I would have said the Packers were the better team. The Packers looked like they left a lot of points on the field. I thought they outplayed the 49ers in that game. So how do you tend to think about that? First of all, you know, teams have bad games. You might argue that's one of the worst games the 49ers played and they still won the game. That's what good teams do. You could argue that. Um, how do you think about that game, or does it say more that the Packers are kind of in the right direction? Well, it's a, a little bit that the Packers are in the right direction, and a little bit it's just random variation, right? Like, even the best teams in history had off days. There was a game where the Patriots uh, needed a – the 2007 Patriots needed some sort of a, like, um, uh, overturn play against Bart Jones uh, uh, in the – Bart. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name of the linebacker. Bart, Bart Scott. Bart Scott, yeah. They needed an over overturned play in order to win that game by like three points late in the 2007 season. Like they beat A.J. Feely by like three points late in the 2007 Oh, there was a lot of, I mean, we think of that team as being dominant. There was a lot of games that came right, right. down to Even the, the most dominant teams of all time have their, their off days. And I think that what happened is the 49ers had one of their off days. Um, because certainly the Packers' defense has not played that well most of the season. That's what was shocking about that game was that the Packers' defense played so well. Hmm. And then uh, Debo Samuel being out is a factor as well, right? I mean, I, I'm not big on putting too many points on individual players other than quarterbacks, but it has to bring their offense down a little bit. Yeah, I think that it brings their offense down a little bit. And the rain, um, Purdy. I mean, it's a small sample size, but he seems to struggle in rain more than other quarterbacks. He has a hard time gripping the ball. Hmm. Yeah, that scene of him wiping his hand in the middle of the play. I I mean, I've watched football for 50-plus years. I've never seen a quarterback do that. Holding the ball, looking for receivers, and wiping his hand on on his pants. Can't be a good sign. Yeah, Um, how are you feeling about the 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 conference championships? It sounds. I mean, you're. It's always. I, I love the perspective you're taking, Aaron. It's like, okay, don't overreact to one game. We think the Niners are very strong team. Don't go shorting them too quickly against the Lions. It's easy to jump on that Lions bandwagon, right? It's a fun game to to pull for. Um, is what when you look at your numbers, what do you see in the Lions beyond just the great story? Like, what chance do you think they have, and why? Uh, they were seventh in the regular season. So their offense is just very, very good, both passing and running the ball. That's the, I mean, to me, that's the thing for Detroit is they have a really good, well-balanced offense. They have a great offensive coordinator in Ben Johnson. They had actually the number one run defense by our numbers, which mm-hmm. is kind of shocking. Like, I don't think anybody would expect that. Mm-hmm. The problem is... Pass is it because their pass defense stinks and everyone just throws the ball on them all? No, I always no, wonder well, that. Because I'm, because I'm doing efficiency by play. I'm not... Oh, doing okay. Players, but um, their pass defense really declined over the second half of the year, and that's their main problem. They're really... The pass rush is mostly one guy in Aiden Hutchinson. If they can get him blocked, then Purdy should have time to throw. They're not so good at covering things downfield. The cornerbacks are not great. That's the problem. For Detroit, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility that Detroit pulls off the upset, but it would be a it would be a a big upset, not like a historically big upset, but it would be a big upset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's look at the other side, which is super intriguing, a lot of fun. The Chiefs went out and did something hard. They, you know, no one really 
gave up on them, but they weren't very impressive this year. Then they went into Buffalo and knocked off the, a very good Bills team. Now they've got to go into Baltimore and try to knock off a very good Ravens team. If they do both of those things, then more power to them. But how do you, when you look at the numbers, how do you make the AFC championship game? I mean, I feel that this one is much farther apart than the market believes because I'm not going to give Patrick Mahomes any magic beans. Right. There's this question of whether there exists playoff Mahomes uh-huh. in the same way that people believe there exists playoff LeBron in the NBA. That Mahomes doesn't really try his hardest until he gets to the playoffs and then he try and so then he becomes magic. Okay. The thing about that is their offense was very average against Miami. Obviously part of that was the cold, but the the whole uh narrative of uh the, the Kansas City offense is back, baby, is one game, and it's primarily because Marquez Valdez-Scantling didn't drop any passes. Mm-hmm. Like It's not that Mahomes, like Mahomes was good all year if you just watched him. It's not like Mahomes was bad this year. It's just his receivers were bad. And so against Buffalo, his receivers were not bad. Well, I don't know if that will continue against a Baltimore team. That, by the way, Kansas City used a lot of 12 and 13 personnel taking advantage of the fact that Buffalo's linebackers were all injured. Right. Baltimore's linebackers are like the best players on the defense. <laughs> so it's a little bit different. Yeah, that's the it's I mean, people saw the the you know the list of players that were out, and if you especially if you listen to the Bills game the week before, they were just dragging them off left and right. So you knew at some level that they were hurting. But that that kind of pales. You kind of forget that as Casey moves down the field time after time after time. But you really have to consider that context. That offense looked better than it would against a really strong D because the Bills just were not themselves. That's that's yeah. absolutely. And the Ravens were the number one defense in the league this year by my numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shane? I want to kind of ask about your perspective on, I guess, the other side of the ball with, uh, you know, the Chiefs, I think, gave up 182 rushing yards to the Bills this last uh, weekend. And now they're going against the Ravens, which can run, you know, obviously multiple players on that team can really run the ball. Do you kind of think, do you see that as big of a, as big a mismatch on paper as I see it or, or is there a different way to look at it? Yeah, we had the Ravens as the number one running team. And we had the Chiefs as the number 27 run defense. And that does not count scrambles. That's only called runs. Then you add in Lamar Jackson scrambling, which they had problems with Josh Allen doing that. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a thing where FTN does some charting and we have success rates by different um, different, uh, run concepts. And Baltimore was super successful running power, and Kansas City's defense was terrible against that concept. <laughs> We've got a couple of non-playing field questions, but before we do that, one one last playing field question. Talk, talk to us some about you opened your comments about about the weekend about the Bills, and um, you're a longtime football watcher. You have the you don't get too caught up in any one year, any one team. How should we think from a big picture about the Bills and their future and what prospects that great city and the great people there have of getting a Super Bowl on this particular run? You know, they had that Jim Kelly stretch and they had four goes at it. This run is over. With the, Josh Allen, it's like, okay, now, so what do you what do you make of it? What do you think? They're, they are in a major salary cap problems for next year. Uh, Allen's a cap number 
is gigantic, like 47 million or something. Uh, Diggs's cap number goes way up next year. Uh, Von Miller's cap number is huge, and he doesn't seem to have anything left. And they're like already over the cap for next year. Like they are in a bad cap place with a lot of free agents. Their defense is going to be decimated. The depth of their defense is going to be decimated. Not necessarily the best players on the defense, but the depth. Um, I think this is the end of this run for Buffalo. I think Mm -hmm. they need a year or two to retrench and build with some younger players. And then there's going to be a second half of Josh Allen's career run. He's too good a quarterback not to have another run, but it's going to take a couple of years to to reset the way New Orleans did, right? Mm -hmm. New Orleans had had two runs. New Orleans had the early part of Breeze's career, and then for a couple of years they were like seven and nine, and then they had the later part of Breeze's career. And I think Buffalo is going to be in the same boat. So, Aaron, it's interesting you gave that example because I was going to ask you a question about roster building and to what extent you push your chips in for a particular year or two, a, a moment versus really doing the prudent long-term planning. It, are, it, is it safe to say that the, the Bills had pushed some chips in on this particular moment? And yep. then do you, do you think they're, they're apt to do it again? Is that the wise play? When you think about that late-stage Saints team, man, they were some chip-pushing franchise, right? They and, can try, but, man, it's going to be hard. I mean, you know, restructure Allen and – Maybe try to trade Diggs in like a Tyreek Hill type trade, but I think everybody agrees he's kind of lost a step a little bit. And like I said, Von Miller's cap number is over twenty million, and he doesn't seem to have much left. So I don't know what you can do with him. Um, it, it it's it's a problem. I mean, they there's no question they could be a team. Um, historically, there are a lot of teams where their best regular season and the year they win a championship do not line up. Yeah, ex- exactly. This And right. it's one of the reasons that you, you should be skeptical, I think, of the push all the chips in, because you think you know the year and you don't always know the year. You right. Need- it's possible that they lose all these defensive players, but they just have a very injury-free year next year, so it doesn't matter that their defensive depth is much less. Well. And they go out there and they draft a really, they have a really good draft and they get a couple of good rookies and they shock us all by winning the AFC East again and then going on a run in the play. Like that's Well, the other thing, Aaron, is that their deficiencies can also be masked by a, you know, semi-horrific division. I mean, the Patriots are no good right now. They'll maybe turn around. The Jets aren't particularly good and the Dolphins are okay but they're not a great team. So they're, I mean, they could make the playoffs regardless winning division or wild card and not be that great a team. And then, as you said, random chance happens and who knows? Right. It's possible. I'm not writing off the bills for next year, but man, their salary cap looks bad for next year. Okay. In any comments on Josh Allen, the quarterback, where, where yeah, is he? I think Josh the, Allen had an amazing season. I voted for Josh Allen first team all pro, and I wrote a whole article about why I did that. Based on my stats, he was the second best quarterback in the league after Brock Purdy. And I think there are extenuating circumstances with Brock Purdy, (laughs) given that last year, the most valuable quarterback in the league, the most efficient, efficient by per play was Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. So I think there's something going on in San Francisco, and I think everybody would agree. So I think Josh Allen had a fantastic year despite the turnovers, like even incorporating the turnovers into your analysis. And I think he carries that team. 
And as far as the idea that he'll never get past Patrick Mahomes, I think you could have said that in 1985 about Phil Simms. But eventually there was a year where Montana just didn't do it. Uh-huh. And eventually there's going to be a I mean, there already has been, right? There was a year where Joe Burrow went to the Super Bowl. People said about Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady also. Peyton Manning lost, I think it was the first three or four playoff appearances against Brady. And they finally beat them and didn't win. But also win. there were a couple of years where Roethlisberger snuck in there over both Manning and Brady, right? So like... Yep. Even the greatest quarterbacks do not make the Super Bowl every year. Allen will get his shot again. I just don't know if it's going to be with the current Bills offense as constructed. One of the, I hate that. I mean, I asked the question, and it's a fun conversation, but I do hate how much we make it about the quarterback. I remember those Manning Brady conversations. It was just it, it was, people were obsessed with their head to head. It's like this is absurd, guys. I mean, it's. It, a lot of guys on the field. Because Brian Burke from ESPN had a good point about this, which is the quarterback has so much control over the offense that it's almost like football is both a team sport and an individual sport combined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yes, there are times when like Mark Sanchez is your quarterback and Darrell Rivas is your corner, and it's your defense that's carrying your team, not your quarterback. Yeah, yeah right, right. Okay. Speaking of Rebus and your neck of the woods, we're interested to hear your longtime Bill Belichick watcher. Um, you've seen what's happened in recent years, and now he's seemingly interviewing for a job with Atlanta. What, what do you think is left in the tank for Belichick? What's your analysis of him as a coach these days? Clearly, he still is able to motivate his team and get them to play hard because they played hard this year. And I think he still has a good mind for defensive scheming. Because their defense played very well this year, despite losing their two most talented players to injuries early on. The problem is that if you make Bill Bill Belichick your head coach, you are asking for a very retrograde viewpoint on both offense and analytics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? You are asking for the Ernie Zampezi offense, not a Shanahan-oriented offense. Mm -hmm that no other team in the league really runs that scheme anymore. And you know you're going to be punting on fourth down all the time <laughs> and that he is not in the forefront of the league when it comes to anything analytical, even though he was 15 years ago, but time passes you by. He, he likes to be uh, he likes to be oppositional. So when nobody else was into it, he was ready for it. Uh, one question, though, on him that you're, you're not addressing and I feel like is a, an issue is the personnel side. Would he, you don't want him making personnel decisions, right? And would he not, you know, would he ever give that up? He's been better when working with the GM. And I think the idea is that if he goes to Atlanta, he will work with Rich McKay as the GM. Okay. Okay. And if he, and if he's willing to kind of acquiesce control over GM, one way it could work out on the offensive side is if he's willing to also take on a, a more kind of, you know, current, offensive coordinator and kind of acquiesce. The rumors do not point to that. The rumors are that Josh McDaniels is the offensive coordinator wherever Belichick goes. Mm, Okay. All right. Well, um, it would be interesting. I I, I guess, I mean, are you, are you ready for, you're not ready for a league without Belichick, right? It's kind of interesting. It's fun. It's, it's. Ever since I started doing this, we had Brady and Belichick. I started doing this because of Brady and Belichick. So a league without Brady and Belichick is very weird. There's never been such a thing in my career. (laughs) And what sense did you start because of them? Uh, Because uh, I wanted to prove some things about the 2002 Patriots and why they missed the playoffs is how I first started doing football analytics in 2002. 
What were you trying to prove? What was your hypothesis? Uh, that it didn't matter that they couldn't establish the run. Okay. I was wow. trying to prove a local reporter wrong who said the problem is the Patriots can't establish the run, and that's why they missed the playoffs. And that's I said that, that doesn't make sense. The, does the, isn't there a website that's established the run or a show called Yes, there is a fantasy website now called EstablishTheRun.com. Yeah. It's mocking, right? It's a self-mocking. It's a sarcastic title. But they, I wonder if they know the, your history with that. Eric, are we trying to jump in here? Yeah, I was just asking, Aaron, has anyone ever looked at whether there's age curves for coaches? And so I was actually just looking here. Um, turns out we were just talking about the Bills, and he's still going strong. Marv Levy has the, is the oldest twice. For the Super Bowl. Um, after that comes Belichick. After that, uh, actually, Bruce Arians is in that list as well. But there's never been a Super Bowl coach. I'm not saying there's a hard cutoff. There's never been a Super Bowl coach beyond the age of 70. And if you imagine Belichick going to a team that might not be ready to go to the Super Bowl in the next year, do you have any thoughts about like, can he be the coach of a team that it might take a three-year to five-year time horizon to get them to the place? Well, that's what he was going to be here, right? I mean, if he stayed in New England. No, I know. So I'm saying, do you have any concerns? of If you were a GM or a president of a team hiring him, would you have the worry that, you know, there isn't a five-year time horizon, three- to five-year time horizon? Yes. I think if you hire Belichick, you do not know how long. It's like Aaron Rodgers at this point. You don't know how long you're getting him for. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. One one last question, personal question for you. The Bears in a super interesting position with a quarterback with, you know, kind of on the fence and potential and controversial or at least disagreed upon and holding rights to the number one pick. What What's your analysis? How do you even think about that? And do you have a position on what they should do? Here's the advantage of analytics. Analytics see every play. Our memories only see highlights. And Justin Fields has amazing highlights. Every play, the guy is a bad passer. He has been below what we consider replacement level as a passer for three straight years. Mm -hmm. And if you go back and you look at the quarterbacks who started their careers with three straight years below replacement level, very, the only ones who ever could become something were Jeff George and Alex Smith. Now that's an interesting comp for Justin Fields. If what if Jeff George could run and was not a jerk? (laughs) <laughs> right? Like, I'm trying to use the nicest words I can, uh-huh. uh, but that's an interesting comp for Justin Fields, but do you want to gamble your entire franchise that that's what he's going to turn into? It's just, it's been three years, and he has not proven that he can be a passer, and his salary is going to go up in two years when you have to do the fifth-year option and then a new contract. Mm-hmm. So, there's, I mean, it's no question to me. The Bears have to trade fields and use the number one pick on a quarterback. Well, Aaron, thanks, man. Lots of good stuff. Appreciate you making time for us this time of year. Go out and enjoy those conference championships. Thank you very much. FTNFantasy.com slash DVOA. That's where you find all my stuff. That's great. That's Aaron Schatz. He's over at FTN these days, longtime contributor across the football community, and a great follow on Twitter. That has been another Wharton Moneyball. We've had three quarters of the crew in here. Everybody but Adi Weiner. Adi had things to do in the Big Apple, but we're all here, some combination of us anyway, almost every week of the year. Appreciate you guys being here. Big thanks to Matty Dats for the help that he always gives us, to Dion Simpkins, the associate boss man, and to you guys for listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports. Enjoy your sports.